Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Thursday, November 18th. Journey with me through the entire Bible in one year, focusing on the biblical calendar, the Sabbath, the feasts, and the Torah reading cycle. We have many voices, interpretations, and points of view out there, but there is nothing like listening to the crystal clean, pure Word of God in your life. It is living water for your spirit, as it is written in Romans 10:17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When we listen to the spoken Word of God, it is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews 4.12 The Word of God is alive, it is powerful, and it renews our mind and builds up our spirit. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Vayishlach, and it means, And He Sent. Genesis 34, 1-35-13 One day Dinah, the daughter of Jacob and Leah, went to visit some of the women who lived in the area. But when the local prince, Shechem, son of Hamor the Hivite, saw Dinah, he seized her and raped her. But then he fell in love with her, and he tried to win her affection with tender words. He said to his father, Hamor, get me this young girl, I want to marry her. Soon Jacob heard that Shechem had defiled his daughter, Dinah. But since his sons were out in the fields herding his livestock, he said nothing until they returned. Hamor, Shechem's father, came to discuss the matter with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the field as soon as they heard what had happened. They were shocked and furious that their sister had been raped. Shechem had done a disgraceful thing against Jacob's family, something that should never be done. Hamor tried to speak with Jacob and his sons. My son Shechem is truly in love with your daughter, he said. Please let him marry her. In fact, let's arrange other marriages, too. You give us your daughters for our sons, and we will give you our daughters for your sons. And you may live among us. The land is open to you. Settle here and trade with us, and feel free to buy property in the area. Then Shechem himself spoke to Dinah's father and brothers. Please be kind to me and let me marry her, he begged. I will give you whatever you ask. No matter what dowry or gift you demand, I will gladly pay it. Just give me the girl as my wife. But since Shechem had defiled their sister Dinah, Jacob's sons responded deceitfully to Shechem and his father, Hamor. They said to them, We couldn't possibly allow this because you're not circumcised. It would be a disgrace for our sister to marry a man like you. But here is the solution. 
If every man among you will be circumcised like we are, then we will give you our daughters, and we'll take your daughters for ourselves. We will live among you and become one people. But if you don't agree to be circumcised, we will take her and be on our way. Hamor and his son Shechem agreed to their proposal. Shechem wasted no time in acting on this request, for he wanted Jacob's daughter desperately. Shechem was a highly respected member of his family, and he went with his father Hamor to present this proposal to the leaders at the town gate. These men are our friends, they said. Let's invite them to live here among us and trade freely. Look, the land is large enough to hold them. We can take their daughters as wives and let them marry ours. But they will consider staying here and becoming one people with us only if all of our men are circumcised just as they are. But if we do this, all our livestock and possessions will eventually be ours. Come, let's agree to their terms and let them settle here among us. So all the men in the town council agreed with Hamor and Shechem, and every male in the town was circumcised. But three days later, when their wounds were still sore, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, who were Dinah's full brothers, took their swords and entered the town without opposition. Then they slaughtered every male there, including Hamor and his son Shechem. They killed them with their swords and then took Dinah from Shechem's house and returned to their camp. Meanwhile, the rest of Jacob's sons arrived. Finding the men slaughtered, they plundered the town because their sister had been defiled there. They seized all the flocks and herds and donkeys, everything they could lay their hands on, both inside the town and outside in the fields. They looted all their wealth and plundered their houses. They also took all their little children and wives and led them away as captives. Afterward, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have ruined me. You have made me stink among all the people of this land, among all the Canaanites and Perizzites. We are so few that they will join forces and crush us. I will be ruined and my entire household will be wiped out. But why should we let him treat our sister like a prostitute? They retorted angrily. Then God said to Jacob, Get ready and move to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob told everyone in his household, Get rid of all your pagan idols. Purify yourselves and put on clean clothing. We are now going to Bethel, where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their pagan idols and earnings, and he buried them under the great tree near Shechem. As they set out, a terror from God spread over the people in all the towns of that area, so no one attacked Jacob's family. Eventually, Jacob and his household arrived at Luz, also called Bethel, in Canaan. Jacob built an altar there and named the place El Bethel, which means God of Bethel, because God had appeared to him there when he was fleeing from his brother Esau. Soon after this, Rebekah's old nurse, Deborah, died. She was buried beneath the oak tree in the valley below Bethel. Ever since, the tree has been called Alon Bakuth, which means Oak of Weeping. Now that Jacob had returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again at Bethel. God blessed him, saying, 
Your name is Jacob, but you will not be called Jacob any longer. From now on, your name will be Israel. So God renamed him Israel. Then God said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. You will become a great nation, even many nations. Kings will be among your descendants. And I will give you the land I once gave to Abraham and Isaac. Yes, I will give it to you and your descendants after you. Then God went up from the place where he had spoken to Jacob. Ezekiel 37.1-38.23 The Lord took hold of me, Ezekiel, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O Sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. So I spoke this message, just as he told me. Suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then, as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. Then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet. A great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, We have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore prophesy to them and say, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. O my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live again and return home to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. Again, a message came to me from the Lord, Son of Man. Take a piece of wood and carve on it these words. This represents Judah and its allied tribes. Then take another piece and carve these words on it. This represents Ephraim and the northern tribes of Israel. Now hold them together in your hand as if they were one piece of wood. When your people ask you what your action means, say to them, 
This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will take Ephraim and the northern tribes and join them to Judah. I will make them one piece of wood in my hand. Then hold out the pieces of wood you have inscribed so the people can see them and give them this message from the Sovereign Lord. I will gather the people of Israel from among the nations. I will bring them home to their own land from the places where they have been scattered. I will unify them into one nation on the mountains of Israel. One king will rule them all. No longer will they be divided into two kingdoms. They will never again pollute themselves with their idols and vile images and rebellion, for I will save them from their sinful apostasy. I will cleanse them. Then they will truly be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David will be their king, and they will have only one shepherd. They will obey my regulations and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave my servant Jacob, the land where their ancestors lived. They and their children and their grandchildren after them will live there forever, generation after generation. And my servant David will be their prince forever. And I will make a covenant of peace with them, an everlasting covenant. I will give them their land and increase their numbers, and I will put my temple among them forever. I will make my home among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And when my temple is among them forever, the nations will know that I am the Lord who makes Israel holy. This is another message that came to me from the Lord. Son of man, turn and face Gog of the land of Magog, the prince who rules over the nations of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Give him this message from the Sovereign Lord. Gog, I am your enemy. I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws to lead you out with your whole army, your horses and charioteers in full armor, and a great horde armed with shields and swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya will join you too with all their weapons. Gomer and all its armies will also join you, along with the armies of Beth Togarma from the distant north and many others. Get ready, be prepared. Keep all the armies around you mobilized and take command of them. A long time from now you will be called into action. In the distant future, you will swoop down on the land of Israel which will be enjoying peace after recovering from war and after its people have returned from many lands to the mountains of Israel. You and all your allies, a vast and awesome army, will roll down on them like a storm and cover the land like a cloud. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, At that time, evil thoughts will come to your mind, and you will devise a wicked scheme. You will say Israel is an unprotected land filled with unwalled villages. I will march against her and destroy these people who live in such confidence. 
I will go to those formerly desolate cities that are now filled with people who have returned from exile in the many nations. I will capture vast amounts of plunder, for the people are rich with livestock and other possessions now. They think the whole world revolves around them. But Sheba and Dedon and the merchants of Tarshish will ask, Do you really think the armies you have gathered can rob them of silver and gold? Do you think you can drive away their livestock and seize their goods and carry off plunder? Therefore, son of man, prophesy against Gog. Give him this message from the Sovereign Lord. When my people are living in peace in their land, then you will arouse yourself. You will come from your homeland in the distant north with your vast cavalry and your mighty army, and you will attack my people Israel, covering their land like a cloud. At that time in the distant future, I will bring you against my land as everyone watches, and my holiness will be displayed by what happens to you, Gog. Then all the nations will know that I am Yahweh. This is what the Sovereign Lord asks. Are you the one I was talking about long ago when I announced through Israel's prophets that in the future I would bring you against my people? But this is what the Sovereign Lord says. When Gog invades the land of Israel, my fury will boil over. In my jealousy and blazing anger, I promise a mighty shaking in the land of Israel on that day. All living things, the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals of the field, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people on earth will quake in terror at my presence. Mountains will be thrown down, cliffs will crumble, walls will fall to the earth. I will summon the sword against you on the hills of Israel, says the Sovereign Lord. Your men will turn their swords against each other. I will punish you and your armies with disease and bloodshed. I will send torrential rain, hailstorms, fire, and burning sulfur. In this way, I will show my greatness and holiness, and I will make myself known to all the nations of the world. Then they will know that I am Yahweh. James 1, 19-17 Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives, and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, And if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion 
in the sight of God and the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Yeshua HaMashiach if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom He promised to those who love Him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Yeshua, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey. The royal law, as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the Torah. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law, the Torah. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the Torah that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when He judges you. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. And you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough, unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Psalm 117, 1 and 2 Praise the Lord, all the nations. Praise Him, all you people of the earth. For He loves us with unfailing love. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. Proverbs 28.1 The wicked run away when no one is chasing them, but the godly are as bold as lions. I'd like to speak to you today from Ezekiel 37, and then we're going to jump into James. Chapters 1 and 2. And in Ezekiel 37, we see an image, a picture painted for us, of a field that has scattered dry bones. And Ezekiel is looking at this field, this vast field of scattered dry bones, and God tells him to prophesy over these bones. And he says the prophecy... Verse 4 and 5, Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Look, 
I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin, and I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. And so a miraculous things happened as Ezekiel speaks these words. And there's a great rattling noise all across the valley, and the bones all come together and attach themselves as complete skeletons. Muscles and skin and flesh forms over the bones. But they still had no breath. So we see a stage one and a stage two. In stage one, all the bones come together and form skeletons, and then the muscles and the skin comes on, but they still have no breath. And then in stage two, God tells Ezekiel to prophesy over them yet again. Speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man, verse 9. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, Come, O breath from the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. And so as he speaks that word, the breath comes into the bodies, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a great army. Now, I have an important question. Who are these bones? Who do they represent? Verse 11 gives us the answer to that question, and I'm going to read it to you from the New King James Version, because uh, the definition is found in that version, or in King James. Ezekiel 37, verse 11 reads, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Now I've talked about this before. The whole house of Israel is all twelve tribes, northern kingdom and southern kingdom. The house of Judah, southern kingdom, and the house of Ephraim or Joseph or Israel, the northern kingdom. They are the whole house of Israel. So it's all of us, not just the Jews, not just the Gentile Christians, but all of us. And I love what it says in verse 12. Therefore prophesy to them and say, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, O my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Now this has been fulfilled in part. In May of 1948, when the nation of Israel was reborn and the Jews coming out of the Holocaust in Europe made their way to Israel and a nation was born. So the southern kingdom, Judah, the Jews, have come out of the ashes of the Holocaust and made their way home to Israel. And it's it's been like a resurrection from the dead. So in some ways, this has been fulfilled partially, but not completely. Because the northern kingdom, the non-Jewish part of the nation of Israel is still in exile, is still in the diaspora, is still scattered to all the nations of the earth. And it goes on to say in verse 14, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live again and return home to your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. Now remember, 
the bones represent the whole house of Israel. So some of those bones have returned to the land of Israel. But a lot of us are still scattered to the nations. Now, let's make a connection back to Genesis. When Joseph tells his sons right before he dies, do not leave my bones here in Egypt. 400 years from now, when you leave Egypt, you are not to leave my bones here, but you are to take my bones back to the land of Israel. And that's exactly what they did. After the exodus, or as the exodus was occurring, they grabbed his tomb, his coffin, and they brought the coffin with the bones of Joseph with them. And where did they end up? Well, I've been there. They ended up in the ancient city of Shechem, which is modern-day Nablus. Nablus is nestled in a valley between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And down in Nablus is the tomb of Joseph, where his bones lie. And Nablus is ancient Shechem, which was the capital city of ancient Samaria or ancient Shomron. And so Joseph's bones are a prophecy. How are they a prophecy? His bones today call to the house of Joseph, the northern kingdom, to return home, and that their home eventually is going to be the mountains of Israel. And the mountains of Israel is a Hebrew idiom. It's a reference, a remez hint of the biblical heartland of Israel, which is Shomron, Samaria, the very area, Shechem, Nablus, Itamar, um, Shiloh, all of those areas in the mountains of Israel, north of Jerusalem, that's the biblical heartland. And his bones are a prophecy that the house of Joseph will one day return to that land, to that place where his bones are entombed. So this is God's promise that he's going to return the exiles of Israel back to the land. Now we have another, okay, let's think about this. What is stage one and what is stage two? In stage one, the bones all come together and the muscles and the flesh come on, but there's no breath. And then in stage two, we see the breath of God, the Ruach, come upon this vast army. There's lots of different ways to interpret that. Could it be that perhaps stage one was the reestablishment of the nation-state of Israel in May of 1948? And that stage two has yet to come? That it's the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's spoken of in Joel chapter three, that he's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh? Young men will dream dreams. Old men will prophesy. Young sons and daughters will will all receive the whole, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Ruach, the breath, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Perhaps stage two has not yet happened, but it will happen. Time will tell. So now, in the rest of this chapter, we have another picture being described for us, and that is two sticks. And on one stick, the name Judah is inscribed, and that represents the southern kingdom. And on the second stick, the name Joseph is inscribed, and that represents the northern kingdom, the house of Joseph, or the house of Israel. And God is saying in verse 21, I will gather the people of Israel from among the nations, 
that's actually referring to the greater exodus. I will bring them home to their own land from the places where they have been scattered. And I will unify them into one nation. Right now we're a divided nation. We have Jews and Christians. We have the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. I will unify them into one nation where? On the mountains of Israel. One king will rule them all. No longer will they be divided into two nations or into two kingdoms. Who is that one king? That's going to be Yeshua. Let's back up to verse 19. I will take Ephraim and the northern tribes and join them to Judah. I will make them one piece of wood in my hand. So the divided kingdom will become a united kingdom. And they will have one king. Verse 24, who is that king? My servant David will be their king, and they will have only one shepherd. And that servant David is Yeshua, the Mashiach. They will obey my regulations and be careful to keep my decrees. In other words, they will follow my Torah by the power of the Holy Spirit. They will live in the land I gave my servant Jacob, the land where their ancestors lived. They and their children and their grandchildren after them will live there forever, generation after generation. This is talking to northern kingdom and southern kingdom, Jews and non-Jews, that we will ultimately live in the land of Israel forever because of the covenant, the promise that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will put my temple among them forever, and I will make my home among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And when my temple is among them forever, the nations will know that I am the Lord who makes Israel holy. So we are Israel. We have not replaced the Jews. We are grafted in to the olive tree. And we are the wild branches, and the Jews are the natural branches. And we are connected to the roots, which is the patriarchs, Yeshua, and the Torah, the roots of this olive tree, which is Israel. And we will one day be united as one nation. And so that's what this chapter is talking about. This is what we have to look forward to. Now I want to go into the book of James, and there's just a nugget there that's just so important for us to look at. And in verse 22, it says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in the mirror You see yourself, you walk away and forget what you look like. So that is actually another way of saying Shema. Shema means hear and obey. And in fact, every single podcast, at the very beginning of the podcast, we sing the Shema, which is to hear and obey. And that's what this verse is saying is, don't just listen to the word of God. Do what it says. Apply it. Walk in obedience to it. And it goes on to say in verse 25, But if you look carefully into the perfect Torah that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget 
what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. We don't want to be a forgetful hearer of the word. We want to remember what we read and hide it in our heart and walk it out with our feet, our hands and feet, each day. That's all I have for today. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Shalom.